for the week of January 24th, 2021. This is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Star Wars TV and Disney Plus streaming series, as well as all the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. With Season 2 of The Mandalorian behind us, John and I are picking up our Clone Wars and Rebels rewatch, starting with The Clone Wars Season 1, Episode 12, The Gungan General. John, what did you think of this episode? Um, It was fun. It Well, it, more than anything, it was fun to kind of step back into these after a few months away. Uh, obviously, we focus on the prestige Star Wars offerings like The Mandalorian, and this is kind of our off-season fair, so we really haven't looked at this for the better part of, what, six months or so at least. So it was good to kind of check in on it, catch up, remember where I was at, and then remember... Uh, despite how early this is into the Clone Wars run, just sort of how confident they were in what the show was at this point. We're only about halfway through the season, but it already feels like the Clone Wars that we got up through the other seasons. Obviously, you know, season seven was a bit of a stunner and it kind of, now that we've had that to chew on, everything else sort of pales in comparison a little bit, but this was still plenty of fun. So I was happy to jump back in. Well, let's go ahead and get our listeners caught up with what happens So as Obi-Wan and Anakin begin negotiations with Hondo Onaka to transport the detained Count Dooku to stand trial before the Republic, Onaka's crew drug the Jedi in an attempt to double their bounty, causing the duo to partner with the Sith Lord in order to escape. So the Jedi fortune cookie fall with honor rather than (laughs) succeed by fraud. Now, one of the things that I really liked about this rewatch was because Because we picked this up after we, of course, like you said, consumed season seven, which was such a masterpiece on all levels for an animated series. And it made me appreciate the Clone Wars a little bit more. I was not always a huge fan in the Clone Wars, and it makes you appreciate it just to see the jump that they were able to make with season seven and how different even things like the animation and production style uh, goes. But. Um, this was a fun episode. We get to see Obi-Wan and Anakin partner with Dooku for a little bit. Yeah, so we kind of cut off our rewatch in the middle of an arc. So we had all the setup to this where they encounter the pirates, Dooku's captured, and it leaves off with them sort of knowing that they're walking into a trap, but being willing to go down that road because they needed an in basically like they wanted to play along with the pirates and uh obi-wan even suggested that he sort of knew that they were being drugged Mm -hmm. um so that's where we're picking up uh so this was a pretty satisfying payoff i'll Mm -hmm. say like my that was my my original take on it after finishing it the first time through was There was a lot of double crosses and there was a really interesting dynamic where it's kind of the enemy of my enemy is my friend where you've got these unlikely bedfellows that are kind of at each other's throats with Obi-Wan, Anakin and Dooku, but um, they're literally attached at the hip. So they have to make the best of it. And that's kind of really the heart of this episode. That's what makes it fun is seeing them have to throw in together and then at the same time, the flip side of that is them having to come together and be kind of a unified front against the pirates. The pirates are all infighting and backbiting and they can't even get along with each other. There's all sorts of little bits of subterfuge. So it does kind of tie into the fortune cookie, you know, fail with honor rather than succeed with fraud. The pirates ultimate downfall is the fact that they can't even get on the same page with each other. They're so busy squabbling for, you know, petty little greedy purposes that, you know, there, there's no way that they could uh, be a unified front against 
three force wielders. And that's kind of, that's kind of the fun of it. And for that, I thought it, it made its case pretty well, which is what I like is when a, an episode kind of has an underpinning that makes sense thematically. And it's like, they understand what they're trying to say with the episode. And I was getting that with this. So it, it felt very satisfying that way. Well, and I mean, there's no question that Hondo becomes this very uh, popular character in the greater Star right. Wars world after the Clone Wars to the point where he's he's your host on the right. smugglers run in uh, Galaxy's Edge. So it's really interesting that you kind of have this setup for I don't necessarily want to say redemption because he's still always a pirate, but it kind of sets up the, you know, this I'm going to have more <laughs> honor than these other guys. Because the pirates are just pursuing spice. I mean, they are what Han Solo wants to be in just this this brutal kind of spice runner. There's no honor amongst thieves, and Hondo gets um gets double crossed here, which right. you know leads the way for Jar Jar Binks to be kind of once again <laughs> yes. the unlikely hero of this episode. Yeah, he bumbles his way to victory as as we know only Jar Jar can. Uh so yeah, there was some fun to be had. And and you're right that as Hondo pops up over the ensuing years from this episode, he becomes kind of the scoundrel you love to hate. Like Mm -hmm. even though he usually is on the the wrong side of the equation, like you don't want him to win. uh, You kind of like his style and that he sort of, when someone does something respectable, he kind of respects it. Like there is, Mm -hmm. he hasn't like completely abandoned his code and you get a bit of that at the end of this episode as well, where, you know, Obi-Wan just says, you're not our problem. We're not your problem. And he's expecting retribution. You know, these Jedi have their weapons back. He thought he was going to lose his head. And so he kind of winks at Obi-Wan there and, and gives him a little nod. So there's, uh, there, there is something about the Hondo character that is a little bit more nuanced than your typical pirate, which is just, you know, uh, pew, pew fodder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for that, this is laying some good groundwork for later in the series too. Yeah. And <laughs> I find it interesting because, of course, these pirates put all these force wielders into the same um, into the same cell and Mm -hmm. the two Jedi wake up and Dooku's just kind of in the corner, you know, uh, in kind of the the dark, shadowy corner. Um, And for some reason, chooses not to force choke them. And I know I'm overthinking. (laughs) I'm thinking way too deep about this, but. You know, maybe Dooku saw this as an opportunity to get out as well, because they, in fact, work with each other. A few times unsuccessfully, we have a couple back and forth where they get recaptured and thrown back in there. Right. But I like that Filoni understood that people like me would have this question because during their second escape, Dooku provides some dialogue that explains why he doesn't kill them because then he <laughs> yes. would have to drag them around because they're connected. Right. Um, yeah. So I thought that that was a very uh, fun way for them to tell the story that they're wanting to tell and yet fill some plot holes as they're doing it. And I like that because plot holes sometimes drive me crazy. And in the world of star Wars, there are quite a few of them. So to have one less one is um, extremely nice for me. Yeah. Dooku is nothing if not pragmatic. Like he's looking at the bigger picture and he's saying, do I want to limit my options by killing these guys outright? Sure. It's two less Jedi that I'm gonna have to worry about down the road, Mm -hmm. but I have more immediate needs and maybe some extra muscle would come in handy. And obviously, you know, it does, but yeah, interesting. It, it, it's more well thought out than you think, even though it is a lot of like hiding behind boxes and corridors and that typical star Wars stuff that stretches incredulity a little bit. Mm -hmm. It works. This, This works because again, this is all just a pretense to force the bad guy and the good guys to work together. And that's what is making all of this fun. And the fact that they found a, a fun vehicle to let us, go down that road with with these unlikely pairings that's you know that that's really what works about it all so i can forgive a lot of the conveniences along the way to get us there 
Yeah, and it's just a lot of, of course, the Jedi and the Sith Lord outsmarting the prison guards who aren't right. very prison guarding, but they're pirates, right? I mean, this is the same type of security that would be on a pirate ship in, <laughs> right. in the real world where they're just kind of, they're there, they're told to take on this duty that they don't really want to do because they want to do other cool pirate stuff <laughs> yeah but of course we can go and reiterate how they keep getting captured and recaptured but what i want to focus on is even though dooku is the sith lord we have a couple of times in in the next few clone war stories where the jedi are once again portrayed as being these you know honorable people where obi-wan has an opportunity to just let dooku meet his fate and he decides mm-hmm. to um, save him because they're not within a battle. Uh, Dooku's not a present threat, so there's it's not the Jedi way, right, to to kill an unarmed person. Right. And this, of course, leads them to being captured again. But I like how they do that. We have a couple of things with Anakin being the uh, the cocky kid and running his mouth a little too much. <laughs> right. But <laughs> we have in this crazy uh series of events that jar jar binks becomes the (laughs) highest ranking official and of course we see this come into full fruition in episode three and when she makes some interesting decisions about who he uh surrenders all power to but (laughs) um but this one binks does a good job he decides that uh you know after the senator's death that he's gonna save his two friends and he like i said before becomes this this nice little hero yeah now I want to touch on that because it plays into the end of Phantom Menace very nicely. But um, before we do, I think you touched on a good point about Obi-Wan not taking opportunities to do in Dooku, you know, mm-hmm. when it's either their neck or Dooku's when they're all hanging there. But Anakin is very quick to say, no, just let him fall. Like, I'm not, I can't hold us all up. Like, yep. seriously, Dooku's dead weight. Let's, let's remember he's the bad guy. This is obviously an indication of, where their characters really split and how that continues to uh, diverge throughout the Clone Wars Mm -hmm. to the point where in the last season, we see Anakin on multiple occasions uh, do in like separatist leaders or generals or people that could be taken alive. He's just done with this whole idea of pacifism or um, some sort of nobility and war. You know, that's just never really been what he's all about. And the longer the war goes on, the more that's able to really infect him. And so we're seeing that in subtle ways here where you wouldn't fault someone for saying, look, I can't hold you both up. Get rid of Dooku. It doesn't seem like that's an indication of some sort of personality flaw. But in Anakin's case, these are the little, the little cracks in his thinking that the Clone Wars really twists. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it is kind of nice to see that Obi-Wan throughout all this maintains his humanity a little bit better than Anakin does. And of course, you know, that plays out to even Dooku's end really when it comes right down to it, this, this could be a a setup for the very beginning of episode three. Um, So yeah, there's, there's lots here to dig into if you really want to, but when it comes right down to it, half this episode is Jar Jar Binks Mm -hmm. (laughs) doing what Jar Jar Binks does, which is he is all heart. He is happy go lucky. He is quick to walk into danger completely you know, unbeknownst to him that he's even in the midst of danger. And just because of his clumsiness, he wins the day by, you know, seemingly besting his enemies uh, just through his bumbling. And that's basically what this whole action set piece is um, with the big tanks and him going out to negotiate. And it plays out basically exactly like it does at the end of Phantom Menace. And I do kind of like that. Well, in one sense, they're keeping true to the character, but they're reminding us that this is part of Star Wars. Like anyone that maybe had some misgivings with that, 
this is how Lucas likes it. You know, he, he likes to give some more juvenile stuff that kids of any age can get on board with. And we may look at it as a bit of a liability to feel like a battle could really be won through bumbling, but kids eat this up. And I've seen my own kids eat this up and, and it, it, it never even suggests or they never get any inkling that they shouldn't be just taking this as pure fun and delight, like that they should be looking at it and saying, well, that's not terribly realistic. Like this really works for a certain star Wars audience. And, uh, so I just, I like to make the point that for anyone that maybe has aged out of that silliness, it has its place and it is fun. And, uh, if you can just embrace it, it still makes for, you know, some fun, lighthearted fare in the middle of an episode that did see a lot of guys getting choked with energy binders and, and blowed up. And so, uh, you got to have a little bit of levity there. Well, and then when you think about it, Ahsoka is obviously extremely important now in the live action verse mm. of Star Wars. Yep. And after her episode of Mandalorian, a lot of people were like, oh, who is this Ahsoka person? Like, I understand. Like, I, I've right. heard that she was Anakin's apprentice, all this. I want to find out more. And it brings them into the Clone Wars. And mm-hmm. if you like it, if you hate it, whatever your view of the Clone Wars is, you have a remote. You can change the channel, sure. so to speak. And so if you want those fun nuggets that we all get whenever we watch um, <laughs> some of the newer material, then by all means, if I mean, that's enough joy to sit through some of these uh, bumbling episodes. But you're exactly right. I mean, George Lucas made Jar Jar Binks specifically for that type of crowd. He wasn't keeping in mind the 20-year-olds that were going to stand two days in line to watch episode (laughs) one. He was thinking of his grandkids at the time and and the, the film that he wanted to make for them and a character to show that everyone belongs in Star Wars. And I think that's the beauty of everything that that Lucasfilm has been doing before Disney uh, bought them. And now of course, after Disney with some of the other projects that they do. So uh, that in itself makes, makes this uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. And you, you make a good point about being able to just change the channel. The fun thing about the clone wars is that the episodes play out in these little mini movies of Mm -hmm. two, three or four episodes. And so if you're just not feeling the mission of the week, you just go two or three episodes down the road and it's a completely different show. Like next week, what we're going to be covering is going to have nothing to do with Jar Jar. We're not even going to see him for, Mm -hmm. you know, probably 20 episodes. So that is kind of the fun of the show that it's a grab bag and you can just embrace what feels like star Wars to you. Mm -hmm. And you can leave the more juvenile stuff for those that, that dig it. And uh, yeah, it it is kind of interesting that way that there's a little bit for everyone. And it's not like this would sour the entire series. You could just always, skip past this particular adventure and you know move on to more you know sober serious type stuff that comes down the road and my overall kind of closing thoughts on this episode is just you hit on it before is kind of the honorable practices of obi-wan i mean this allows him to leave on good terms with hondo in the end because dooku gets away and there's no need to punish hondo because he's like well it looks like your bounty is lost anyway so there's nothing else that we can really discuss um moving forward so let's just leave it on this we made we created some damage you obviously created some damage (laughs) there's no need for uh for repercussions on this and so it's really nice to once again show obi-wan we see that again here in a couple episodes which is one of my favorite clone war episodes coming up here but uh i really enjoyed the just once again they they turn Obi-Wan into someone who is even more loving than what we originally got from the, uh, the movies that we saw him in before this. But right. other than that, what are your closing thoughts on this episode? Just fun to pop back into the series. Uh, we've got a, a little ways to go before we get the bad batch, I think is going to be the next one up for new star Wars fair. Uh, so 
all the more reason to spend a little bit of time in the Clone Wars timeline because that's going to dovetail very nicely when that new series comes out. So uh, this was fun. This was 20 minutes well worth it. And another 20 minutes centered somewhat around a pirate. We have Rebels <laughs> Season 1, Episode 11, Idiots Array. And in it, the crew of the Ghost find themselves working a smuggling job with renowned Lando Calrissian after Zeb uses some unadvised collateral in a game of Sabacc. Now, John, what did you think of this episode? Well, this this wins the week for me. This this is the episode that just had me grinning more than anything. Inflatable pigs, Lando Calrissian being as you know schmaltzy and schmarmy and um, uh, flirtatious as we'd ever want Lando to be, even with Sabine, which just is kind of a weird thing to see. So there's just uh, a lot, a lot in this episode that I was absolutely eating up. This. I enjoyed the Clone Wars like that. It was fun to step back into that timeline, but I forgot just how much fun Rebels is uh, and how much I was enjoying a rewatch before we put the pause button on it. So, yeah, this was this was an amazing episode with Billy D. Williams. So what more could you ask for? Yeah. And I love that it immediately starts with Zeb being hustled by Lando. Yes. And and I think there's some implications there that Lando, of course, cheated, which, you know, of, of course. course we didn't even see this because this, I believe, came out in 2014. So a few years before solo. we got solo and yeah. we actually saw how Lando cheats. And so it was just kind of fun where Zeb's like, I thought I was making a good decision and he still ended up winning. And so there's a lot of just fun stuff with uh, with Lando in this episode. And, and the fact that momentarily your heart kind of sinks because you think Lando wins Chopper for a minute. <laughs> yeah uh which would have been cool like if chopper went off and had some side adventures with lando i'd I'd watch that show uh but obviously uh this is just a setup for them all to have to again the the, the idea of the strange bedfellows like we all have a shared purpose here and everybody's got their angle and and we're all desperate for different reasons and somehow you know we all have to come together on this adventure i really like that because this the way they wrote lando in this episode is so true to the character which is you think he's being straight with you but he's working three or four angles and he's got three or four side hustles and each of the side hustles are all dependent on him pulling off this one so that he can then pay off the next guy to pay off the next guy to pay off the next guy. Like that's just how Lando works. He's always moving the pieces around, just trying to keep everybody from slitting his throat. And you just, you get basically perfect Lando in this episode. And, and that's what I, I really, really enjoyed was they took a lot of care in making sure that this was true to his character. And aside from, Lando looking like a memoji like that when he first comes on screen, you're like, you know what? We can do that with our cell phones now. It's kind of mm -hmm. funny that uh, that's the look of the show is kind of very smooth and organic. And I just thought that's a Lando memoji. That's what he looks like. So that was a little distracting. But other than that, I thought the character was perfectly realized. Yeah. And of course, when you have Lando, who else are you going to bring in? I mean, this is before right. Glover's time as Lando. You got to bring in old right. Lando for this. Bring in Billy D. And so he comes in. He he knows Lando better than anyone else in the entire mm -hmm. world. So he was able. It was so nice to see with, of course, the animation plays into it. But I think it's just the charisma that Billy D is able to to uh, use this yeah. character in you know, the vocal area. And it was just, it was fun. A bit of uncomfortable comments whenever he starts <laughs> flirting with Sabine. Um, but once again, that's Lando. And we, and I love that Filoni has, he understands what Lucas was doing with Lando because even though we get a different actor in solo, we still get this like 
this guy who's gonna he's gonna flirt with anyone he can yeah. flirt with and yeah. um and so having that here under Filoni's guidance is is really <laughs> fun and makes you excited for what Filoni can do in the future. Yep, Lando's gonna Lando. And uh the fact that it so quickly gets under Ezra's skin and uh you know Ezra's feeling a little uh a little dejected, you know, in this situation, it sorta mirrors Lando coming out and just immediately like kissing Princess Leia's hand and saying, yep. you know, he's gonna Mac. So you you see the same thing with with Han that that he has a bit of a it's not that he's jealous of Lando, but he just doesn't like anyone else kind of horning in on his territory. And you you get that. Uh so that's a you know a fun little nod there to what we already know Lando has the ability to do to uh would be suitors. So a lot of fun. And uh the other places that this episode goes, like once they actually get into the the caper. I, I think it was very smart. Uh, it, it plays out really well. And when I go back and think about the pieces that he's lining up and then kind of how things come full circle and it's not like an easy getaway, it never, it never is an easy getaway with Lando. Again, it just, it all felt very right. So I just, I, I think they really crafted this one nicely. And the fact that they establish Hera as this kind of character who she's really the mom of the ghost in many ways where she's kind of the mom mm-hmm. on the adventure, but she's also she's thinking on the same wavelength as Lando. Like she understands what he's doing to the point where she kind of goes into this whole plan with Lando without them having a secret meeting about what's going on. And they both know they're like, yep, we're on the same page to the point when Lando does sell Hera to this little gangster and Kanan flips out. Lando's like, listen, your girl's smarter than you give her credit for. She knows Mm -hmm. what's going on here. Right. And it's not that Lando knew that she was going to know what he was going to do it, it's not like it was some obvious maneuver that he was pulling off that she was in on it's that he immediately got the sense that this girl knows how to handle herself mm-hmm. you know she's got street smarts this isn't her first hustle like he knows when he's looking at a a peer a colleague you know r- rather than just you know some peon so he was getting competent vibes from her and so he was confident knowing going into this that she would be able to pick up the ball and run with it and obviously she does She's even able to kind of keep Kanan in line so that he doesn't blow it all and just say like, you know, don't worry. I got this. I know, I know, I know what I got to do here. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's funny to see. Uh, and it's a nice, it's a nice way to um, just do some character development because we haven't necessarily seen the um, more subversive side of Hera where she kind of has to play a role and you see, you know, how she immediately sums up her new owner. Like she knows exactly what's going to push his buttons and she knows how to clear the room and create all these pretexts to be able to, you know, knock him over the head. She just, she knows how to handle herself and it's good to see her in these kind of situations because it informs us about her character. And then of course, all of this was so that Lando could get, mining equipment that wasn't being scanned (laughs) by the empire and so this shows kind of lando in his business of always trying to gain the upper hand in something and and figure out a way to beat the system and of course he gets this uh this puffer and of course the puffer (laughs) does exactly what it sounds like um you have you have zeb and uh zeb and ezra being the the kind of uh the clueless brothers that just keep getting into more trouble and uh you know this leads to their own issues yeah, uh, of course, if you put a box in front of someone and say, don't open it, uh, if they're impetuous, 
like this duo is, you know, eventually that little space truffle pig is going to get out the reveal of what it means to be a puffer pig. I thought was just so perfect. Like, don't scare him. Don't scare him. Don't, don't get him riled up. Don't scare him. Why? And you know, he uh, inflates into the hallway, which is literally the perfect obstacle as far as, you know, where we're at in this adventure. How do we, how do we take what's seemingly a straightforward conclusion to this caper and throw a monkey wrench in it? Well, we've got this little puffer pig. Yeah, that's great. And then later on where they, they blow him up again, he just becomes kind of this beach ball obstacle to help them create a distraction. And for Sabine to use as a trampoline to hop on the roof, like just really creative stuff in this episode. And it, it, what you said about Sabine, this series does such a good job that, she is quick on her feet, like all Mandalorians mm-hmm. typically are, right? And after what we saw in season two of The Mandalorian, whenever she right. appears in live action, whenever that's going to be, which I think it's all but 100% confirmed by Lucasfilm that this is happening, it is going to be such an amazing reveal because what we've been set up on just things like, oh, yep, I know that this is going to explode. So I'm going to jump to the next obstacle <laughs> and use that to my advantage. And with the puffer pig, right. of course, it, I mean, uh, call me uh, a little, you know, fanboy or whatever, but it makes me excited for Filoni that he's at the point where his in his career where he is now turning all of these things that had reasonable budgets for what they were and now he gets to use basically lucasfilm is writing a blank check and saying yep do what what you want to do here um makes you super excited for him uh it, i i can't wait to see more of this yeah feloni uh he has stepped into maybe the perfect storm uh to help aid what he wants to do you know build this feloni verse of, of series covid you know it has its downsides. I think we'd all acknowledge, but it's worked wonders for streaming, right? Disney's uh, subscriber base and their revenue projections are literally billions of dollars above what they were expecting. And so all that money can be funneled back into content development to keep that momentum going. And that's why they've greenlit basically a dozen shows and about half of them play into this, this Filoniverse timeline. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see who they'd cast. You know, there was some speculation that maybe, Sasha Banks would be Sabine, but obviously, you know, you would think Sabine's maybe a more slight character. Like you don't get the mm-hmm. sense that she's like a brawler. So right. I guess maybe that wouldn't have been the best casting, but there was a lot of people that were hopeful that they just really wanted to see Sabine. So whenever they're hearing casting news and someone that has vaguely the look of Sabine, they're all for it. So you know that there's, there's definitely a craving to see what she could do in live action. Now that we've seen Mandalorians in action. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. The the universe is blown wide open for them to be able to bring in characters. And these are all kind of Filoni's baby. Mm-hmm. So he knows how to write them. He knows where they're at in the timeline and what they're doing. Like he's basically the keeper of all that. So yeah, she's going to show up sooner or later. Absolutely. And I'll be happy to see it. I'd, I'd love to see who they cast. See if they get another home run like they did with Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, my overall kind of just closing thoughts here is we knew it was coming because, of course, we've seen this before. And by this time, the toys have been produced. But this mm. is the episode that reveals Ezra's, you know, blaster saber in right. front of Kanan. Yes. And so Kanan gets to see it. And and that's like it shows you that even because I believe this even came out before The Force Awakens was was released. Yeah. That whatever you may see as ridiculous lucasfilm has been in the business of ridiculousness for a long time to the point where (laughs) this is like a plasma sword that people are fighting with so why can't it also serve as a blaster and especially 
we see it uh, used very well in the finale of season one by Kanan. Mm-hmm. And so that's just kind of my overall uh, thoughts on this. John, what are your closing thoughts and uh, where can the people find you? Well, as far as closing thoughts go, the, the one thing that I thought was kind of a, a fun little quasi Easter egg is that Lando is trying to gather assets to begin a mining operation. This, this hustle of his is he knows there's money in mining. And even if he has to start with one space truffle pig, that's all he needs because he's going to be able to parlay that into something that he can sell to some dupe. And then he's going to parlay that into something bigger, parlay that into something bigger. And we know that about five years down the road, he's going to be the administrator of cloud city, which is a huge mining operation. So this is what a hustler like Lando can accomplish in five or six years. He can go from a truffle pig and a bunch of numbskulls with a spaceship. That's all he had, you know, to, to pull off this first step. But I think what they're winking at and saying here is this is what Lando does. And in five years, this is what he's going to turn it into. And I think that's a fun little thing for people to, uh, mull over when they think about the Lando character uh, to to never sell him short. He's not a short sighted hustler. He's always got bigger plans. Like you said, he's a he's a space entrepreneur. Yep, absolutely. Yeah that that is that is so much fun that we get to see Lando in between the two Landos that uh, yes. that we've had in live action and uh, a lot of fun. Um, while people are waiting for the fun from the next two episodes of Clone Wars and Rebels, where can the people find more of you, John? Well, I produce a fantastic podcast called the SNL after party. We cover all new Saturday night live and Saturday night live is coming back live this Saturday with first time host, John Krasinski. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be covering that this weekend. And, uh, if people want to check that out, they can find it on YouTube by searching for SNL after party, or they can go to snlpodcast.com. And you can keep up with this show throughout the week on Twitter at Star Wars TV Talk and by emailing us at hello at StarWarsTVTalk.com. You can find the rest of our episodes online at StarWarsTVTalk.com and by searching for Star Wars TV Talk wherever you get your podcasts. And please subscribe. You can find the TV Talk Network at TVTalk.fm. Thank you so much for listening, and may the Force be with you always. <laughs>